Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. This episode is part of a summer book club that I'm hosting on this podcast. In efforts to read and write more on topics related to race and injustice, I decided to log out of my Instagram account for the summer, and I'm instead focusing my time and energy here. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Hi, everyone. I mentioned in the last episode the name of the book that I would be reviewing next. However, being a person who doesn't always finish books that I start, I scrapped that book because it wasn't really something that was interesting to me. And I instead picked up the book called All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. And I wanted to make sure to have a book during Pride Month, so I'm excited to share this one with you. To get started, I want to give a little bit of background on the author. Uh, He identifies as Black, queer, and gay throughout the book, and he says those with the emphasis that putting a label on a person and expecting people to fit into certain boxes is typically inadequate. Another interesting thing that I learned through reading his book is that he went to school in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I live, and studied at Virginia Union University, which is a HBCU uh, in the middle of Richmond. So it's always cool when you're learning about somebody and they have ties to your community. So thought I would share that. But to jump in, I want to share probably the most profound quote that I got from this book. Here we go. Gender is one of the biggest projections placed onto children at birth, despite families having no idea how the baby will truly turn out. In our society, a person's sex is based on their genitalia. That decision is then used to assume a person's gender as boy or girl, rather than a spectrum of identities that the child should be determining for themselves. Nowadays, we are assigning gender even before birth. We have become socially conditioned to participate in the gendering of children at the earliest possible moment whenever a sonogram can identify its genitalia. Gender reveal parties have become a trendy way to celebrate the child's fate, steering them down a life of masculine or feminine ideals before ever meeting them. It's as if the more visible LGBTQIAP people become, the harder the heterosexual community attempts to apply new norms. I think the majority fear becoming the minority, and so they do anything and everything to protect their power. End quote. I share this quote because it gives a lot of information, and I'm just going to pull out a couple of things there. So uh, George talks about the difference between the terms sex and gender. Sex is determined by genitalia. Gender is determined by how one identifies with various identities that is not always congruent with the 
sex determined by genitalia. So I like to clarify that because there's a lot of terms that cause confusion when we uh, have discussions about the LGBTQ plus community, and it's always good to review and to clarify there. As far as the the comments on gender being chosen before we ever meet children, you know, from that sonogram that reveals the genitalia, I agree with what the author says about being socially conditioned to link a child's genitalia with the perceived gender that they will have. Obviously, with increased awareness of the spectrum of LGBTQ plus people, we have to start changing some of those norms. But as a typical first-time parent, uh, my wife and I, when she was pregnant with our daughter, she told me she was rooting for a girl and I was rooting for a boy. Obviously, we both couldn't be right. We knew there was one baby in there. So I'd be lying if I said that when initially we found out that Maya Jane's sex is female, that I wasn't a little disappointed uh, because I had, you know, been hoping for a boy. But I say that to say that it dissipated very quickly. It wasn't something that was a big deal, but... As I read this book and thought about it, I remember during the pregnancy, because, you know, during pregnancy you have the, the baby showers, the registries and things like that. I, you know, having had awareness and having worked with several folks from the LGBTQ plus community through my work as a therapist, I was very adamant about not overly gendering our child. I was very direct on telling people don't buy everything pink, don't overly feminize the stuff that you get us, because it's important to let a child just be who they are. And I didn't want to continue that conditioning from an early age. Just thought I would share that. So moving on, George talks about how hate and bigotry is taught. So here's a short quote. Most kids aren't inherently mean. Their parents, however, can make them mean, end quote. When he says this, he's referring to the fact that children are not born to differentiate race differences, preferences, and all of that. They're very innocent and just very curious. Unfortunately, racism is taught to children. Homophobia is taught. And bigotry in general is taught. I've shared in past episodes about how being a black biracial person being raised by exclusively the white side of my family how in adulthood I'm looking back and seeing how very racist some of the things and behaviors were of those in charge of raising me. But then also, looking back at my childhood, I never quite fit the norm or the stereotypes of what my peers expected of a young black boy. So everyone was into basketball, football, sports, you know, just the typical 
stereotypical boy things, right? I never had any interest in that. I was never interested in video games and stuff like that. I was more of a bookworm. Uh, I loved, loved, loved music and, you know, keeping up with the latest like music videos and pop culture. And I was really into theater and movies and a lot of more creative, expressive things. And given the conditioning that my peers were given in my childhood, I was often labeled incorrectly as being gay because they perceived my lack of interest in the stereotypical boy things as being gay. As an adult, looking back on those mislabelings that people placed on me, and this happened through elementary, middle, high school, college, and beyond, um, I've had instances where people thought I was gay. Side note, I am cisgender heterosexual. But those misconceptions, I I can look back at those experiences and not feel insulted because there's absolutely nothing wrong with, if someone mistakes you as being gay, it's incorrect, sure, but it's not an insult to be mistaken for a, a different type of identity. However, social conditioning growing up, the worst thing a guy could call another guy is the F word. And just for clarity's sake, the particular F word I'm talking about is not the one that rhymes with duck. And so when I was bullied and called those things for being different, I, not knowing better, responded with the typical masculine response of getting angry and defensive because boys are taught to defend their masculinity and toughness and all of that stuff. So it's interesting to, you know, as I'm reading George's experiences and words to kind of be able to look back on those situations where I didn't know better and to kind of have a new perspective on it. We weren't being taught acceptance and diversity when I was a kid. So thought I would share that. And by me sharing my experiences of being mislabeled as gay, it is in no way insinuating that I can place myself in the shoes of anybody in the LGBTQ plus community who faces stigma and discrimination on a daily basis. I'm more so sharing from my vantage point how that has played out in my life. So On that same vein, George talks about how, I'm just going to jump into the quote here, we often talk about bullies when they are in school, but rarely when they are in our families, end quote. He talks about how his family was relatively open and accepting, but there were some people that didn't understand and that were not sensitive to the identity that he was developing. And I think that this quote about bullies being in our families can be expanded to really anyone listening. I spend a great amount of time in my work as a therapist talking with clients about boundaries. And it sounds strange to be asserting boundaries with people who are blood related to you. However, just because someone's related to you by blood does not mean that they are healthy people to have in your circle, then I think it's important to speak on in Pride Month because a lot of folks 
who are LGBTQ plus have faced traumas and discrimination and being completely, you know, excommunicated because of their identities. And the people who are supposed to be their support systems end up being an adversary. So those words are definitely very true. And so then going on from that, though things seem to be improving and getting better, there's still a long way to go as far as equality and equity. So the author talks about how embracing his true identity has resulted in being a target. And we hear way too many stories and tragedies of things that are happening to folks in the LGBTQ plus community. So in this quote, he says, unfortunately, my life story is proof that no amount of money, love or support can protect you from a society intent on killing you for your blackness. Any community that has been taught that anyone not straight is dangerous is in itself a danger to LGBTQIA plus people, end quote. This author, George M. Johnson, has the intersectionality of being black and being queer and gay. Intersectionality in this case is you have the stereotypes, stigmas, systemic discrimination of not only being a black male, but then also the same challenges with being a person in the LGBTQ plus community. I like the part that says any community that has been taught that anyone who is straight is dangerous is in itself a danger to LGBTQIA plus people. I think that that statement can be universal to any community that has been taught that anyone fill in the blank, not white, not Christian, not American. You know, we have so many different types of discrimination and systemic, for lack of a better term, systemic fuckery going on in our world that anytime someone has been taught that someone is less than, it's dangerous. And we see it pervading through our society all the time. So that is a very powerful quote. And so moving on, George talks about something that's very important. And that is the main reason why I started this podcast is that there's a lot of stigma and distrust in communities of color when it comes to mental health treatment. I've shared this before, but Black people and other communities of color do not receive therapy services at nearly the same rates as our non-melanated counterparts. Uh, culturally, there's the the norms of don't let other people into your business, kind of keeping things under wrap, uh, brushing things under the rug. So here is a quote. Therapy is still very much a taboo subject in the black community. Those who are seen as having issues with their mental health face a lot of stigma and discrimination because mental health is often conflated with mental illness, end quote. And with that being said, something that's very important for me in being a therapist of color is to do everything I can to work towards breaking the stigma around folks of color seeking mental health services. 
And I say that because through my vantage point of being a therapist, I see the pitfalls of folks who don't receive mental health services when they need to. Because whether you go to see a therapist or not, trauma and racism, discrimination, all of these things do play out whether you ever step into a therapist's office or not. In the Black community, the life expectancy rate is lower. We have familial patterns that occur that are very toxic to one's quality of life. If you're not going to get mental health treatment, I see often it plays itself out in other ways. So there's higher levels of alcoholism and chronic drug abuse. You know, if you look at the root of things, it is untreated pain. So in a community that shuns reaching out to a professional for mental health services, it plays its way out in other destructive ways. And so it's just something to be mindful of. Breaking the stigma in communities of color regarding mental health is so, so, so important. And so I hope that this podcast is like a drop in the bucket to normalize the importance of mental health services in communities of color. Um, But moving on, I have covered the topics of masculinity before on my blog, but I appreciate the perspective that George provides uh, from his vantage point, especially with him being very effeminate from a young age, and but also being a black male, and then growing up with all of the societal norms that were placed upon him. So here's a quote. Black boys are required to be rough and tough, to suck up the pain and not shed a tear. If you get into a fight, you better win the fight, or I'm a beat your ass when you get home is a phrase I've heard too many times from friends and family throughout my life. Being black and queer brings on layers of issues. There can be both a fear of your own community and a fear of dealing with bullying from other children who don't respect your identity. End quote. This is another example of intersectionality. There is the norms and expectations of masculinity or perceived lack thereof on top of the expectations and norms of being black contradicting with the identity of being queer. So when you read this book, and I highly recommend that you grab a copy, you'll see the multiple competing dynamics at play for George For most of his life, this resulted in a term called code switching. I'm going to link in this episode, an episode that I did on the podcast specifically about code switching and cultural appropriation. If you want more information about what that's about, definitely check that out. But for example, George talks about how he would code switch in his daydreams and in his mind growing up, he was very effeminate. And, you know, when he would dream about being an adult or uh, things like that, he he imagined himself as a woman. This is not to be confused with George being transgender. So he, he went through a period of time where he was confused about that because he did have someone that was trans in his family. And he thought, well, maybe this is what I am. But he, through his discovery process, determined that he wasn't trans, he was just queer, meaning not fitting into the 
societal norms of masculine or feminine, but having traits of both. One of the interesting things that he does, uh, or he shares about in the book, is that he embraced masculinity when he was in college by joining a fraternity. In that process, you know, black fraternities at HBCUs uh, historically are not the most accepting. And this is based on his experiences, but also observations that I've had as well in my work as a therapist. But so he faced some homophobia from the organization itself. And I really admire his rationale for wanting to join a fraternity. So he spent his whole life being relatively effeminate and creating and developing his own identity. But in embracing the fact that he is a male, wanted to explore masculinity and see what traits of that he wanted to adopt. And he calls his journey towards embracing masculinity as an act of self-care. And I thought that that was really beautiful because gaining awareness and being open-minded to things is all part of the journey of developing and seeking a great quality of life. So um, I thought that was very cool. And just for some context, once he was accepted into the fraternity, he later found out that several of the guys uh, in the fraternity were also gay. It's interesting how he navigated that, but it ended up working out for him. The next quote is going to briefly touch on slurs. My problem was that I was being called those slurs while exhibiting effeminate characteristics and while also doing things that girls traditionally did. So for me, it would have to be about balancing those traditionally feminine qualities and measuring my safety. I knew the bullying would only get worse if I continued to fall into this effeminate line. I hating being referred to as a F word. I had a physical reaction anytime I was called the word and the nerve shot off in my body, end quote. Between the black community and the LGBTQ plus community, there are two specific slurs, one being the N word and one being the F word, that were historically used as hate speech towards these groups. However, you'll probably have noticed that those within a particular community, let's use the black community, for example, have reclaimed these slurs and use them as a term of endearment or as a way of taking the power away from a term that was used to be so loaded and hurtful. For example, the N-word is now used without the hard E-R at the end as a term of camaraderie. Not to go too deep into this, but that's, a, that's another thing about, you know, as we talk about like cultural appropriation and how the adaptation within these communities doesn't always make sense to someone who's outside of the group. I've heard arguments from folks who are white who have a say on whether or not black people should be using the n-word and quite frankly if you're not part of the community you don't have a say on it there's a quote later on george says quote i understand now that my blackness is self-defined 
and to use the N-word or not to use the N-word is my choice. But it shouldn't be based on the comfort of those who consistently seek to invalidate me, end quote. So I share that part to say language and culture and political correctedness is different for every circumstance. And I really like the strong stance that George takes. The relationship with these slurs and words are unique, uh, but as a good rule of thumb, if you're not black, you're not permitted to say the N-word. If you're not in the LGBTQ plus community, you're not permitted to use the F-word. And when I say that, it's not to say that using those terms within the communities are something that everyone does, but there is nuance and individual experiences behind folks' decision to use those terms. Hopefully that makes sense. I was trying my best to be concise in explaining that. But moving on here, and to end this episode and review on this book on a positive note, I want to talk a little bit about what George shares about advocacy and allyship. So as he's speaking to an audience in this particular instance of LGBTQ plus people, especially young people still figuring out their identity and coming out and stuff like that, he says this, I won't sell you the fable of it gets better, like media tries to do without offering how. The how comes in being willing to take a chance on yourself and create the support system you wish to have. I would also tell you to reclaim that campaign slogan and use it from a place of power. Tell folks, especially those who are non-queer and non-black, to make it better. Something getting better doesn't happen without action, and you have every right to ask for that. I love that quote. It reiterates what a lot of the authors that I've been featuring in this summer book club have been saying. Racism is not going to end just from the marginalized people speaking up about it. Those with white privilege must join us in the fight to tear down the institutions. The marginalized people can't single-handedly obliterate what is being inflicted upon them. The same thing goes for the discrimination within the LGBTQ plus community. So moving on. How to be a ally. I thought that this short quote was very profound. And as I read this, I want you to think of how it applies to not only the LGBTQ plus community, but also communities of color. So quote, elevating a community viewed as below you to having the same equity and equality harms no one but the oppressor, end quote. So that kind of piggybacks off of what I just said. Those with privilege and those who are not marginalized have to grapple with the fact that in order for there to be equality, they have to acknowledge how their privilege has been used to oppress these marginalized groups. Acknowledging that privilege is so important. And it's not a, I'll just use, for example, white people. They get 
very sensitive a lot of times about being called out on privilege because it seems as an attack. However, if we avoid the fact that there is privilege and how systemic racism has advantaged them to the disadvantage of other marginalized groups, we can't get anywhere. Because as I always say in therapy, awareness is the first step to change. If we can't be aware of what's going on, we have no ability to change something. And so as I say, reflect on that, I'm going to read it one more time. Elevating a community viewed as below you to having the same equity and equality harms no one but the oppressor, end quote. So to conclude here, of course, go get this book. It's called All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. But some of the other topics that are covered in here that I found interesting, I'm just going to give some bullet points here. He talks about the black community's general distrust of the medical system based on unethical research and discrimination throughout history. He also talks about the tendency of communities of color to sweep sexual trauma under the rug. And there is a trend of swearing people to secrecy or not speaking up. And obviously, given his background, he also talks about the nuances of folks in the LGBTQ plus community coming out. I think everyone should read this book, honestly. It is it is very, very good, and I learned so much from it. So thank you so much for listening today. I will talk to you all next time as I finish up the next book in the series and come back here to share it with y'all. But until then, take care. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.